Well, welcome to this Christmas by candlelight service. My name's Luke. I'm one of the uh, one of the leaders here at the church, and we're very thankful if you're uh, we're thankful if you're here in, in general. But we're very thankful if you're visiting with us today. Uh, some people often wonder uh, what what the what the Christian uh, worldview or what what Christianity has to say to pain and suffering in the world, and that and that story that you just heard is really the answer. Um, it, it, Every, everything that is wrong with this world ultimately stems all the way back to humanity's fall deep into sin. And Christ has come to reverse the curse, to, make, to wipe away every tear, to, to deal with death, to deal with pain, to deal with what is wrong with this world. And he has come already in his death and resurrection, and he is coming to, to make that rain that's in our hearts a reality throughout this world. So that, that is the story that we celebrate here as Christians. Well, does anybody know what season it is right now? Anyone know what season it is? Er, wrong. It's actually not quite Christmas yet. I've been a bit, I've been a bit cheeky this today. It's not quite Christmas yet. That begins on Tuesday. It's actually the season of Advent. It was a trick question. Sorry. Although many churches don't really celebrate Advent, uh, yeah, right now, uh, and certainly not the larger culture you'll still find at least one symbol of Advent that remains. What is it, you think? The Advent calendar. That's right. We have two Advent calendars in our home, one with the story of Jesus and another one with a cheeky piece of chocolate behind each door. You can imagine which one my kids are aiming at every evening. Advent calendars uh, began to be used in the 1800s to help children uh, anticipate and, and the, the coming of Christmas. Advent calendars typically have a door behind, for each day of, uh, leading up to Christmas, and behind the door, there's, a, there's a, a picture of the Christmas story with a little snippet from the Christmas story. And that, that door is actually quite important. It's, it's intended to conceal some of the mystery and, and surprise of the Christmas story. But of course, it doesn't really conceal a whole lot because most of us know the Christmas story quite well, don't we? Day one... Behind day one, you find usually a, a nice little shepherd boy in, in the hills of Bethlehem. And then you move to day two, and you, and you open up the, the calendar, and you see a darling little angel, right? And finally, you get to, you get to day three, and perhaps you, you find a, a star that's, that's uh, leading the Magi onto, onto Bethlehem. And then you go on and on, and finally you reach day 24, Christmas Eve, and you're expecting to find a, a cuddly little baby. But instead, you find... A ferocious hippopotamus come to eat you, or something, I don't know. You, you see, that's actually how Advent is supposed to work. It's supposed to surprise you. It's supposed to be this coming salvation that just, I wasn't expecting that. But of course, we know the story so well, so we've come to expect it. In our day, we mostly think of Advent as, uh, or we, we mostly celebrate Advent as, you know, an excuse to enjoy the Christmas decorations and the carol singing and, and hefty amounts of chocolate for the entire month leading up to Christmas Day. But that was never really the purpose of Advent. The word Advent comes from a Latin word which means the coming, referring to the coming of Jesus, of course. The season of Advent is, is really meant to be a period of waiting and anticipation of the arrival of Jesus, not only the arrival of Jesus in a manger, but his second coming, where he'll come 
as judge, as just warrior. Advent season is conveniently placed at the darkest time of the year, as you can tell right now. And it's, it's supposed to be kind of a picture to remind us that we live in, in dark times where, where evil still is all around us. Advent is a time for us to step in the shoes of Israel of old. They too lived in very dark days and they, they eagerly awaited the coming of their Messiah. We just, we just read all about that. We too as a church live like them in, in dark days waiting for the return of Messiah. You see, historically, churches actually wouldn't celebrate, or, or, sorry, they would celebrate Advent with prayer and lament and fasting and, and reflection. And then the last day of Advent would come, and the Christmas decorations would go up, and that's when the celebration would begin. On Christmas Eve, the Christmas celebrations would go up, decorations would go up, the carols would be sung for the first time all year, and, and the arrival of Christmas Day would bring somewhat of a dramatic and surprising end to Advent. We don't make you wait that long anymore. But this made me think about what an Advent calendar would look like in the home of an ancient Israelite. What would, what would, oh, oh, oh no, can't, this is the problem if I go too quick. Ruins the surprise. What would, what would Israel's Advent calendar look like? They too had pictures of what Christmas Day would be like. They too had stories of a coming Savior. They too would be incredibly surprised when they opened the final door on their Advent calendar. So let's just take five minutes and explore ancient Israel's Advent calendar. On day one, behind the first door, I think they would find a snake crusher. An evil crusher. And the little snippet that would go by that is, is from Genesis three, fifteen, And I will put enmity between the serpent and the woman. That's Eve. And between the serpent's offspring and hers. He will crush the serpent's head, and the serpent will strike his heel. This, of course, is the very first mention in God's word about God's future salvation. How will evil be crushed? Well, a son of Eve, a human, will come to crush the head of Satan and therefore defeat evil. Behind door two, I think you'd find... What would you find? The anticipation's killing you. The Lion of Judah. And right here, you'd, you'd, you'd find a snippet from the, the patriarch, Jacob, as he talks to his son, gives a blessing over his son, Judah. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So this future salvation will be, li- Savior will be lion-like. He'll be mighty, he'll be courageous, even ferocious. I'm reminded of the, the all too often probably quotation from, uh, from, from the Chronicles of Narnia about, about Aslan. It, it is, it, Lucy asks, is he, is he safe? And of 
course. No, of course he's not safe. He's terrifying. Oh, but he's good. The Savior will be good and terrifying. Behind door three, I think you'd find a wise king. A wise king. The prophet Isaiah says, as we read earlier in chapter 11, I think the snippet would be this. He talks about this future king. He says, this king will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. And with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. This, this future Savior is not going to be a dumb brute. He, he, he's not just going to be powerful. No, he, he's a noble king, a wise king. He knows what to do, and he knows when to do it. He has integrity, righteousness, loyalty. He's the kind of king everyone wants. He's, he's the kind of king that... that makes no need for democracy because his power doesn't need to be limited because he always executes his power for goodness. The fourth door on Israel's calendar, oh, I didn't did that, there you go, would be a a heavenly warrior. A heavenly warrior. And we we read about this heavenly warrior in, in an apocalyptic vision by a guy named Daniel. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. The fourth image of this heavenly, mighty warrior he comes from heaven to judge evil. He rides in on the, cha- on the clouds like a chariot. He judges evil. His, his robes are dipped in blood. It's gory, but wickedness stands no chance against him. This warrior has come to rescue his people. He slays the dragon. Nothing that is evil will escape his sword. So on the eve of Israel's first Christmas... On the eve of the arrival of their Savior, I wonder what expectation they had for what was behind that final door. Perhaps some combination of serpent-crushing, lion-like warrior king is what they had in mind. And so they finally get there, and they open the final door of their advent calendar, only to find a vulnerable baby. Can you imagine the surprise, the utter shock? You've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this serpent-crushing, lion-like warrior king to come and to save you. And you open the final door. Your breath is is closed. You're, 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 You're breathless at the moment. And it's a baby. It's a baby from a nobody family who lived in a no good town. It's a baby boy who would grow up to die as a criminal in a humiliating fashion. Can you imagine the surprise that would have been on the face of the Israelite? As it turns out, God gives us the kind of Savior that we need. 
not the kind of Savior that we think we need. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is the serpent-crushing, lion-like warrior king, but he crushes serpents through death. His enthronement happens on a Roman cross. He's, he is simultaneously a ferocious lion and a slaughtered lamb. He deals with evil by taking evil on himself and then driving it through the ground, through death. God knows what kind of Savior we, we need more than we know. In this Christmas season, we create all kinds of saviors, don't we? Santa Claus becomes sort of a, a savior for us. Not, not, the, not the person, of course, right? But the idea. Because we think, we think what we need is stuff. So give me more. Holidays can become an, an, another kind of savior for us. Because what we think we really need saving from is the miserable boss at, at work or, or the mundane job. You see, in surprising fashion, Jesus comes to save us from the very thing that we need saving from more than any other thing. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from the evil that is found within us. He saves us from God's judgment against that evil. He's the surprising Savior that we truly and deeply need. In the next couple of days... We're going to go away from here, nice little candlelit atmosphere, and we're going to start unwrapping lots of gifts, mostly that we probably don't actually need. I'm not a Scrooge. Enjoy it. You should enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it. But take time. Take time to reflect on your greatest need this Christmas season. Take time to reflect on the Savior who actually gives you your grave, who actually provides for you your greatest need need. I promise if you do that, if you reflect on that Savior, if you consider making that Savior your, your, your treasure, that'll be the greatest gift you can give yourself. It'll be, that'll really be receiving the greatest gift you can get from God. I pray that you'll do that, both Christians and non-Christians, this Christmas season.